Thank you so much, Anna. Appreciate that. All right, Second Chronicles chapter six. You should have a copy of the lesson there, and uh, we want to look at uh, continue looking at and evaluating Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. In Second Chronicles chapter six, so we're going to look at verses eighteen through uh, twenty-one. It says, but will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. Have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee, that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldst put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth towards this place. Hearken, therefore, unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make towards this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. What a great prayer as we continue to look at uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication. Uh, we've already considered that he begins the prayer by praising the per person of his God, and uh, what a wonderful time we can enjoy just praising the Lord for who he is. And oftentimes we, it's easy to get caught up with this matter of praying and, and uh, praising the Lord in reference to things that we want God to do or things that God has done for us, but we need to praise him just for who he is. And he is the creator of the universe. He is our God. He is our father in heaven. And we need to praise him for who he is. And then he ponders in the prayer as we've been going through the provision of God. And uh, we need to acknowledge over and over again uh, the way God provides for us. Uh, we ought to be living our life in a way that we are depending on the Lord. And we can testify the fact that if God didn't come through or if God didn't provide for our needs, uh, that we won't make we won't, won't going to make it. And so he ponders on the provision of God. Then he proclaims the promises of God as we looked at last week. I love the old preacher that said the future is as bright as the promises of God. And uh, there's so many promises in the scriptures that is given to us. Uh, we just need to grab a hold of uh, those promises that the Lord has. I had someone call today and was telling me they were struggling with some things and some thoughts and this, that, and the other. And uh, we're concerned and we're fearful of some things. And I just told them, you need to get into the word of God and find a promise from the Lord and hold on to that promise. And the promises of God are sure and we can trust them. And so as we read tonight, the focus of Solomon in his prayer is he's proclaiming the presence of God. I don't think there's anything greater that we can experience than to know that God is with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And when you feel alone and you feel, feel that you can't go on, the reality of the presence of the Lord is what will stir your heart and uh, thrill your soul. Ian e. Bounds said this, prayer should not be uh, regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight uh, that is always revealing some new beauty. And uh, Solomon, as he's praying through this uh, prayer in, in chapter 6, 
uh, it's interesting that different part, portions of the prayer is expressing a new beauty, a new reality of who God is. And our, our times of prayer are all to be uh, in reference to the reality of all that God is. And we ought to experience something new with the Lord when we go to him in prayer. Uh, I remember reading a, a book on D.L. Moody's life. And D.L. Moody mentions a time where he had always prayed for the fullness of the Spirit of God and always prayed for the presence of God in his life. And one day the Spirit of God came so heavy and so strong upon him uh, that he literally said that he had to pray in his prayer and ask God to stay his spirit because he was overwhelmed with the presence of God. I've been in church meetings and revival meetings where you could just sense the move of God and the presence of God, and it's like you don't want to move because of the fact the, the, the presence of the Lord is literally you could feel the presence of God. I've been in times of prayer where you just sensed that God was there and God was with you and God was move, is moving and meeting in your heart and life. The presence of God is so powerful that in our prayer times, we ought to experience those moves of God in that impression of God uh, that he is with us. I remember the first time I went to the prayer advance was with my brother. And I remember he and I sitting there and the preacher was preaching. Keith Daniels was the preacher from South Africa. And I'll tell you, we just, we just were overwhelmed with the presence of God. I mean, in that meeting, I'll tell you, it, it, it was like there was a holy hush that was on the meeting. That meeting was like you could just f feel, as it were, the spirit of God just moving upon you. And there was no thrills. There was no frills. There were no big music and all this, that, and the other. There was nothing. There was nothing but prayer and exposition of the word of God that helped us to realize how precious the presence of God was. And when we got on our knees and we got on our face before the Lord praying, I mean, you talk about the presence of God. There is nothing greater. I, I think what's missing oftentimes in the Christian life and why people are so shallow and so disconnected with church, and you read all these statistics and about people leaving church and all this, that, and the other, I think the problem is not so much people leaving church, is but rather that we have left God. Because if you experience God in the presence of God, you're not going to run away from him. I'm going to tell you, you experience a move of God in your life, the presence of the Lord in your life, you're going to run after him rather than run away from him. And so Solomon is moved in this prayer, in these verses, as he's pleading for God to assure him that his presence is going to be there. And so let's look at this real quickly. Uh, first of all, he is ever present to hear me in verse 18 says, but God, I'm sorry, but will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. It was a glorious temple that Solomon built, but he's aware of the fact and well aware of the fact that God cannot be contained in a building. And in verse 19, it says, Have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. So he's ever present to hear me. 
Why do we pray? Why do we talk to God if we don't believe that he is present? If, if God's not present, then certainly why, why should we offer up prayers? Because how can God hear us if he's not here? And so Solomon is acknowledging the fact that God is always present. And because he is always present, he can hear our cry when we come before him. So letter A is just simply this. His God is greater than the heavens, yet he hears us. That's an amazing thought. I mean, how big is your God? The reality is the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that we've surrendered to is a God who is greater than the heavens that are around us. And you look at the vastness of the universe and you're aware of the fact of how uh, huge and uh, uh, expanse it is, but yet is God is beyond that. And uh, he dwells on, the high, on high, it says in Psalm 113, in verse 5 and 6. It says, Who is like unto the Lord our God, which dwelleth on high? You know, the Lord is high and lifted up. And it says, Who dwelleth on high? And he says, Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? And so God is the one who dwells on high, but chooses to reach down to the lowly state of man. It is God who is on high that is greater than the heavens that Solomon is not acknowledging this, yet even though he's greater than the heavens, he still is concerned about us that he'll dwell amongst men. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And because he will dwell with us, then he is close enough for us, for him to hear our prayer. Oftentimes we think is God is too high, God is too lofty, God is too far removed that God cannot hear our prayers. The reality is the vastness and, and the hum, uh, uh, human uh, uh, interaction with God is based on the fact that God, uh, even though he is almighty, he is still God who is interested and in listening to us. And so he's ever present to hear me. He dwells on high he inhabits eternity. In Isaiah 57, in verse 15, says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so, here is the Lord. He inhabits eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's larger than the universe. He's larger than the heavens. He's greater than his creation. But yet God in his vastness of who he is, uh, is able to pay attention to us and hear our cries when we cry out to them. See, when a person doesn't pray to the Lord, when a person is not pursuing God, uh, it's because of the fact that, that you do not believe that God is connected with the reality of who you are and he is concerned about what your need is. 
And oftentimes people say, well, well, God's just too big or God's just too far away. God is not aware. Well, no, he inhabits eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. There, he is not bound by time. He's not bound by space. And that's why Solomon said, I know this temple, this building I have built cannot contain you because you're greater than the universe that I look at. You're higher than everything that we could imagine. A building cannot contain you, but you're ever present you're always with me and because you're always with me you'll hear my cry and you'll hear my prayer and i tell you when things are falling apart around you you have nowhere to turn uh, there's there's one thing that'll encourage your heart and strengthen your soul is to know at that very moment where you cannot deal with or cannot control everything there is a god who is vastly interested in listening to your cry. And it doesn't matter where you are or what it is that you're going through, uh, he is present. He's ever present to hear me. And so number three is this, he is ever present everywhere. Psalm 139 in uh, verse seven uh, through 10 says, whither shall I go from thy spirit? You know, just that statement in itself should change who we are, how we act, where we go. Because there's never a time. There's never a moment. Not one moment. There's never a moment where God is not present in your life. Where can you go? The psalmist says, where, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I sin up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And the word hell there doesn't mean the place of torment. It means show uh, the place of the dead. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. And so he is ever present everywhere at every moment of every day. And so... Because he's present, he can hear me. So why in the world don't we pray? You know, it seems like uh, uh, the last thing that we do is pray. Why don't we just pray about it beforehand? Now, as soon as something happens, as soon as the situation is there, why don't we talk to God? He's there with you. He, he's ready to listen to you. He's ready to hear you. And so Solomon makes this great temple where the children of Israel could come and worship and in his prayer of dedication to that temple, he acknowledges God is too mighty, he's too large, he's too big to be able to be confined to a building. And his prayer is in reference to the fact of the vastness and the, and the immensity of God, but yet God is everywhere at every moment at all times. And because of that, he'll hear my prayer. He's ready to hear me because he is ever present. So his God is greater than the heavens. How great is your God? Notice his God is greater than the temple. And yet, because he's greater than the temple, he still will hear our prayers. Uh, creation cannot contain him. <coughs> the temple that Solomon built could not contain him. But God is there to hear us. Number one there is just this. Heaven is his throne. And uh, so... In Isaiah chapter 66, in verse 1 and 2, 
reminds us of uh, where God dwells. He says, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Heaven, listen, he's greater than the great temple that uh, uh, Solomon built. Uh, certainly could not contain God because God's throne is in the heavens. And the temple, however, identified his people. You say, well, why would he build the temple? And why would he establish that place as a house of prayer? And why would he uh, require uh, children of Israel to bring sacrifices unto that temple? Because by the temple was a means of identifying his people with him. In, in, uh, oh, I'm looking in the wrong book. Daniel, in uh, Daniel chapter 9, uh, we read, uh, I'm going to get there in a minute. If I ever get over there, amen. My pages are sticking together. When I preach, I get spinning up here. They won't, they won't separate. Good night. I was preaching down at Solid Rock the other day, and uh, I just I couldn't get my pages open because they were sticking together. So anyway, Daniel tells us <laughs> what is going on here. I know it's in the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness, Daniel chapter nine. In uh, verse 17 through 19, and uh, uh, it must be in the Apocrypha, I don't know. No. <laughs> Daniel chapter 9, verse 17 through 19, uh, helps us to understand this concept of the temple was identifying his people. Daniel 9 and 17 says, Now therefore, O, o our God, hear the prayer of thy servant, and his supplications, and calls thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O oh my God, incline thy ear, and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies." And the people of God literally identified with the temple where they would have their sacrifices. So in verse 19 it says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And so he establishes this temple and he builds this temple because of the fact it would give the people a place to identify with their God and they would be identified with the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God uh, because of the temple. But we're the temple. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 16, says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined... Oh, we're not anywhere, man. Where am I? I'm in chapter 6. Good night. I better change my glasses or something here tonight. They ain't working right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in uh, verse 16 says, Know ye not 
that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, himself shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive you. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. And so God is ever present to hear us because he identifies with us through his temple. Israel's identification was through the temple. It was a place that was established as enabling them to come and meet with their God and worship their God and sacrifice unto their God. And it expands to the reality of the New Testament that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you got saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you and he is ever with you. There's not a time when you cast out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always in you. And so God is ever present with us to be able to pray and he'll hear us because we are identified through the process of identifying as the temple where God dwells. And so he, uh, he cannot be contained in the heavens. The heaven is his throne. His temple is identified for his people and the sacrifice provides true access. There had to be a sacrifice, and that's why they had the temple, to be able to bring their sacrifices before God and offer them up for, to the Lord so that they might be reconciled unto their God. And the temple was the place, the building that Solomon built was the place to offer those sacrifices up. Psalm 20 in verse 1 says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifices, Selah. So the sacrifice provided a way for true access. But the reality is that that temple and uh, the, Solomon's prayer that he's offering up in dedication of that temple was acknowledging the fact that God was even greater than the temple, but he still could hear us. And he wanted to assure the children of Israel that this temple is magnificent and it's glorious, but this temple cannot contain God, but it makes you aware of the fact that God is ever-present with you. Because every time the children of Israel came to the temple to bring that sacrifice, they would be reminded that God was with them. In the old, when they had the tabernacle and they carried the tabernacle, God would show them the pillar of fire at night and the, uh, the uh, cloud during the day. And uh, he would do that in order to be able to remind them that he was ever present with them. And so Solomon offers up, he builds this magnificent edifice of a temple. But he says, remember this, that God is greater than this temple. And God is greater than the heavens. And then he says that God is greater than man. But yet he hears us. It's amazing. Verse 19. Have, there, have respect therefore to the prayer of thy servant and to a supplication. O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. God is greater than man, but he hears us. Notice in that verse 19, he says, Have respect uh, unto thy prayer, unto the prayer of thy servant. And then he says, And to his supplication. 
Prayer is the conversation. Supplication is the request for favor. And Solomon, as he offers his prayer up, he realizes this. It was personal. He said, have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant. That is personal. And I want you to know that God is personally interested in your prayers. It's a wonderful thing to know that no matter where you are or whatever the circumstance is, that God is not disconnected with you because he's listening to someone else. But God can hear every person's prayer based on the reality that he is ever-present wherever you are. He is greater than you are. The problem is, is man tries to comprehend God based on our comprehension of who man is. And if all you have is a God that identifies with what man is, you don't have the true God of heaven because God is infinite where man is finite. And so it's a personal. He said, have respect unto the prayer of thy servant. It was personal. Notice it was practical in verse 19. And to his supplication, O Lord, to hearken unto the cry. And so it was practical. Hearken to, unto the cry means that you're not just listening to me, but rather you're going to respond to me. He's going to have respect unto the cry. He's going to be listening to what you're saying, and he'll respond to what your need is at that very moment. Now, he may say yes. He may say no. Uh, he may say, I'll, I'll wait. God always answers our prayer. He may not answer our prayer the way we want him to answer the prayer, but the practical reality is God hearkens to our cry. And so Solomon is, is crying out to the Lord, just remember to hearken to us. And that is positional. Notice in uh, verse 19, it says, Hearken to the cry of the end of the prayer, which thy servant prayeth, and here it is, before thee. Before thee. And when we come in, in to pray in the church, we don't go into confessionals and pray to man. We pray to God. Uh, when we offer an opportunity to be able to pray, we want to pray with each other and help each one other pray for each other, but we don't pray to each other. We pray for each other. We intercede on behalf of each other, but we pray to the Lord. And it's a positional prayer. He said, and so before thee. I like what Max Lucado said. He said, our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. And I, and I think sometimes we think, well, I didn't pray right. You know, I, I've, I've been to a lot of prayer events. I've been in a lot of revival meetings. I've heard a lot of sermons on praying. I've preached a lot of sermons on praying, and I'm preaching a series on praying right now. <laughs> But the, re the reality is uh, you can get into a rut to think, oh, I didn't confess first, and so I'm not clean, so the Lord won't hear me. And, uh, well, I'm supposed to praise the Lord, and, uh, you know, I was praying, but I fell asleep when I was praying. Man, God didn't hear anything that I had to say. We can get so caught up in the process that we forget that God's listening. Well, God won't hear my prayers. I remember when I was in Bible college, a fellow that I was going to college with, 
uh, the bus company that I worked for, I got him a job down there. He cleaned the buses. I drove the buses. I liked my job better than the job he had. But uh, we rode to work all the time together. And uh, uh, of course, he would be done work before I was done because I'd be out on the road at midnight. They would send me to Chicago. At midnight, they would send me all over the place because I'd be the last bus driver out of the Detroit airport. But I remember coming into the terminal around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd ask the dispatcher, where's Doug? Did he get a ride and go home? She said, he's in the back room there. And I'd go in. <laughs> he used to crack me. I'd go in, and he was on his knees, leaning on a chair where he had started praying. Sound asleep. <laughs> Sound asleep. I'd go in and say, hey, Doug, Doug. Oh, oh, what, what? I was praying. I was like, yeah, I know you were praying, amen. And uh, sometimes what we do is we get caught up. We think, well, wait a minute, I was exhausted. I fell asleep. I didn't pray right. Your prayers make a difference. God's not worried about your format. God just wants you to know he is ever present to hear what it is that you're crying out to him. Charles Spurgeon said this, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. I read that. That touched my heart. When you pray, you're experiencing a spiritual transaction between you and the creator of everything that there is. Corey Tinboom said this, any concern too small to be turned into prayer is too small to be made into a burden. <laughs> I read that, I said, that's good. Oftentimes we get so overwhelmed with things in our life, we say, oh, this is just a burden I gotta bear. Did you talk to God about it? Well, no, I haven't prayed about it. Then what's the sense of making it a burden? Because the reality is, if it's, if it's too heavy of a burden for you to carry, why aren't you talking to God? He wants to hear your cry. And Solomon offers up this prayer, acknowledging the fact that the Lord is ever-present to hear my prayer. Well, number two there, in verse 20, he's ever-present to see me. He not only hears me, he sees me. And uh, verse 20 says, Let th that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night. He's just acknowledging, God, I don't want you just to hear me. I want you to see me. And uh, it's always interesting, kids, you know, and you have, uh, we do our concert in school or whatever, and, and, of course, all the parents come out, and the kids are there, and the little kids, when they get up there, they're supposed to be paying attention, they're supposed to be singing, but where are they? <laughs> they want to make sure mom and dad sees them up there. You know what Solomon's saying? See me up here, down here. He's saying this, God's going to see me because he's always present. And so notice it's a continual observation. He says day and night, day and night. There's not a time when God doesn't see you. When you go to bed tonight, God's watching over you. I remember when I was a little kid, we used to pray, uh, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. A little prayer. 
and was just identifying the reality. God, was I go, as I go to sleep, will you watch over me? Will you see me? He's ever present to watch you. He's watching you day and night. He's observing you. Continue observation. Letter B there is continue identification. It says, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldst put thy name here. God is the one that put his name there. Solomon just didn't build the temple for the purpose of just building a temple, but God said he would put his name on the temple. And realize this, that God has stamped his name upon you. You're his child. You're identified with Christ when you trust Christ as your Savior. And so that means that, listen, there's never a time and never a moment in your life where God doesn't see you. Continue identification. His name is stamped upon you. And then let her see there, it's continual intercession. He says, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth towards this place. Solomon is mentioning the reality of interceding for others and interceding for the reality of God to be uh, experienced uh, through the temple that he has built. A.W. Tozer said this, because God knows all things perfectly. Now, now, now listen to this thing and you need to read over it and ponder about what he's saying. This thing hit me right between the eyes this morning when I was putting this together. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing. But all things equally well. He never discovers anything. I've often said God's never caught off guard. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised Never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor, except when drawing men out uh, from their uh, own good, for their own good, does he seek information or ask questions. And when I read that quote, I said, I'm going to look up a few things here. Because God does ask some questions in the Bible. The amazing thing is, as I started looking up different passages where God asked questions, it is always in reference to drawing man out to understand the reality of what his need is or who he is. God doesn't have to ask a question to get information. He knows everything. God doesn't have to ask questions about, oh, uh, you know, it's interesting in Genesis chapter 3, and uh, um, that when God comes in the cool of the day uh, into the garden, uh, well, he cries out to, to Adam and, and, and Adam and Eve, and he desires, to, he says in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 3, And the Lord called out unto Adam and said, Where art thou? He didn't need him to tell him where he was. He already knew where he was. He was asking the question, Where art thou? Because of the fact he wanted Adam to face the reality of what he had done. God is ever present to see me. He saw what was going on in Adam and Eve's life. And so when we talk about prayer, Solomon is saying, as I'm praying, I'm praying in the reality that you're ever present, not just to hear me, but you're ever present to see me. And then number three there, he's praying in reference to he's ever present to forgive me. In verse 21, hearken therefore unto the supplication of thy servant 
and of thy people Israel, which uh, they shall make towards this place, and hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forget, forgive. Uh, God is ever-present to forgive. Historically, man needs forgiveness. And how do we know that? We know that because of Adam and Eve, and I already mentioned Genesis chapter 3, but Adam and Eve sinned in, in uh, the garden. That's a historical event that Adam and Eve sinned, and they needed forgiveness of God. And in Acts chapter 7, Israel needed the forgiveness of God. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is preaching in verse uh, 47, and uh, he says, but Solomon built him a house. And this is why they stoned Stephen, because he confronted Israel with the reality of who God is and what Solomon built and how they crucified Christ and how they needed to repent and be forgiven of God. How, he says, but Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temple, me with hands, or as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. See, he's already in Solomon's prayer. He said, see me, hear me. Forgive me. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the cross, uh, coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Who hath received the law by the disposition of of angels and have not kept it. I mean, he confronts them with a historical reality that Israel needed the forgiveness of God. We read in the scriptures a historical reality that Adam and Eve needed the forgiveness of God. And historically, the church of Jesus Christ needs the forgiveness of God. Peter helps us to understand that in 1 Peter 4, 7. And uh, 1 Peter 4 and 17, I'm sorry, it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I really believe with all my heart as I'm watching the trends in the church and Christianity that we're going to be facing the judgment of God. And you look at the church, and the church needs to repent and start turning back to God and crying out to God for forgiveness again. Judgment begins at the house of God. It's a historical fact that man needs forgiveness. It's a spiritually man needs forgiveness. And then letter C is eternally man needs forgiveness. We need God to wash us clean through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we might be able to have an eternal existence in the presence of God because we've been forgiven by his grace. 
Ravi Zechariah said this, one of the most staggering truths in the scripture is to understand that we do not earn our way to heaven. Works have a place, but as a demonstration of having received God's forgiveness, not as a badge of merit of having earned it. D.L. Moody said this, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. I'm glad of that. Oswald Chambers said this, forgiveness is the divine miracle of grace. The cost to God was the cross of Christ. Charles Swindoll said this, God's forgiveness extends to the worst offenders and to anyone who wishes to receive it, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Solomon offers up this great prayer, and as he continues in his prayer, he is really desiring for the presence of God to be experienced. He wanted to, he pleads for God's presence to be there because of the fact if God is present, then we know that God's going to hear us. If God is present, we know that he sees us. And if God is ever present, we know that he'll forgive us. And um, I was talking to someone today, and as I was talking to them, I, and they were uh, talking about sinful thoughts and things like that and I, I told him I said well to deal with sinful thoughts to get victory over them I said you need to quote first John 1 9 to yourself and you need to proclaim the truth that is found in there that if you confess your sins God is faithful and just forgive your sins and not only forgive your sins but he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that's the only way that you can get victory over wicked, evil thoughts that you're having. You've got to plead the blood of Christ. You've got to confess your sin before the Lord. He knows who you are. He is aware of what you're doing. And he has forgiveness to offer because he is ever present with us. And so what a great prayer that Solomon offers up. And so as we pray, let's uh, rejoice in the fact that God is present with us.